He is a candidate for city council position two. Uh, it is Dan Ryan, and who came in just less than 5,000 votes apart in a race that attracted over 200,000 voters. Dan, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, good morning, Jefferson. It's a pleasure to be on the phone with you. I first of all need to say congratulations. You were in one of the more hotly contested uh, city council primaries, I think it's fair to say, in Portland history, and you're still in that primary. I am. You know, I there were 18 of us, and now there's two, and I learned so much from everyone that ran. It was actually a wonderful civics lesson for all of us, and I hope for the people that tuned in. And no one knew how it was going to turn out, so I'm uh, I'm grateful and honored to be in this moment of time. Now, the timing of this interview, candidate interviews, I mean, you've got a, a busy schedule. You're not knocking on doors, but you're raising money, you're doing Zoom calls, and I'm still curious about, and I think people are still sort of curious about the uh, architecture of a campaign in the middle of a, of a global crisis. But off top, i got to ask, if, if Loretta wins and if Mingus Maps wins, we have a chance to... Uh, have the uh, a majority, not only majority people of color, majority black city council for the first time in this city's history. There are a lot of cities in the West Coast who've, who haven't done that before. And by the way, it wasn't very long ago when I think Charles Jordan was the only African-American member of the city council in the city's history. I, I don't know the best way to ask this question. Why should people vote for the white guy in this race? Well, I'm definitely here to talk about why I am the right person at the right time. And I represent um, a lot of collective experience as well. So we also have the opportunity to, we're going to have a majority, we, we probably could have a majority minority um, team of five. And in that, I hope there's a person that's not a career politician that um, really doesn't know how to compare campaigns before this because I've, I'm not a person that's been campaigning a lot in my life. But we have a chance to bring in somebody with rich, deep life experience that includes, you know, being HIV positive and being part of a pandemic themselves uh, in the, in, in learning how to be disciplined and move forward and do that tough thing, which is what we're going to be talking about, which is adult behavior change so that we can move forward and survive. So I think this hometown person that came home um, is ready to serve on day one, and I'm excited about that. And I hugely appreciate your humanity when I, and people ask, it would ask me my reflections of candidates. And I would I would stop short of saying of making recommendations, and in part because I was working so hard to train my own brain so I could be open to interviews rather than immediately go to either some power analysis or or, or make those conversations too infected by my own preferences. But I would say on your, I was deeply impressed by your humanity in our last conversation and, and so appreciate the work you've done in the world. I do want to ask, there is a moment right now, well, even before I ask, how would you characterize this moment? And I don't, I mean, the last six days, I mean, is, is there anything in your life that you can relate this to in order to give some, I don't know, perch from which to sit to understand and have some perspective? I think in my life, it's that you just accept good news when it arrives. You seize the moment when it, it's here. And we're having one of those uh, times. Uh, the fact is this has been going on for a long time, but after everyone being basically um, holed up with COVID and then watching this televised, this horrific incident, just allowed people to find their voice and having it youth led, having it led by youth of color, it's very inspiring. 
and people are tuning in like never before. And so we just have to seize the opportunity and turn turn the photo ops and the emotions right now and some of the reactions into some steady, methodical action going forward. I do need to let folks know that lest you think this is a typical election calendar, and shout out to Emily for reminding me to remind people of this. <laughs> this is a special election. We don't have until November. I mean, one of the reasons why we need to do this interview is because this election is August 11th. And we will be talking to Loretta Smith. Uh, we're going to be talking to her. I'm going to be talking to her on Monday. Uh, that's the candidate you're running at the same time as, I guess, running against. This is the special election to fill the seat of the late Nick Fish. But let me ask this question. There is this moment right now. You characterized it. That seemed a fair characterization. Attention can be focused at this moment. Where do you want to focus people's attention? Well, I think right now I am I'm, I'm appreciate that the youth, the people of color, especially youth, that are leading the protests, they're the ones that are in the limelight. They should be. So it's for, it's for me to appreciate what they're up to. And when I'm on council, my job will be definitely to dive into the police contract, um, which will be coming up. But Jefferson, I, I like I like the questions so far, and I thank you for them. It, 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 it reminds me of a dialogue I was hearing the other night um, about what we could do better, even right now. And I think we're making some adjustments, but I was very against the use of um, force. I was definitely not in favor of tear gas. I've had that in my eyes myself. It, it's, it's not a good experience. Um, I've been involved in a few what I thought were peaceful protest until you experience the force, you know, that comes at you, the, it just escalates all the tension. And when I've been involved in um, civil disobedience, I've always been surprised at how it instantly made me feel different. And um, I can, the fear, suddenly there's fear. And I was listening the other night to an interview where they talked about the two cities where they've actually had extremely peaceful protest, and that's in Newark, New Jersey, and Flint, Michigan. Now, what do they have in common? Those are two cities that are known for, one, being way predominantly uh, people of color, predominantly African-American, and a lot of entrenched systemic racism and poverty. The police force in those, in those two cities did not use, they kept all their armor at, at, the, at, the, at the shop. They didn't have them on there. There's no tear gas. There was no batons. They demilitarized their their the way they showed up, and I don't think it's a surprise that those are the two cities that therefore have had peaceful um, protests. What is the most radical? And you might not characterize it as radical; it might hurt it if you did. But nonetheless, I'm going to ask the question that way. What's the most radical police reform, and that could include some measure of shifting police budget to other services or creating a new force? Maybe that's a spoiler alert. What's the most radical proposal that you would be in favor of, particularly one that would differentiate you from other candidates, either in your for your seat or just other city councilors? Well, sometimes what's uh, pragmatic and, and necessary is actually radical. I, um, from afar, because my experience as elected official was that as being the chair of the Portland Public School Board, and when our big contract every uh, couple of years, every three years, was with the Portland Association of Teachers, I've always, when I observe City Hall, I've always been confused why when the police contract comes up, there seems to be only dialogue about the transactional um, compensation issues. And yet I have never witnessed enough dialogue on the relational practices. So, and I equate that to when I was in the school board because I really pushed on how we could actually expedite our transfer process of teachers so we would 
be with the rest of the market, if you will, surrounding districts so we could get new um, talent um, into our schools. I also, we had dialogue about the fact that the seniority clauses in the contract made it difficult to keep teachers of color who were tended to be younger and newer on the in the in the teaching uh, part of Portland Public Schools. So I think that it was so important to have those relational dialogues before we got into the transactional compensation. Because once you get into the compensation dialogue, and then when that is uh, satisfied, if you will, with both parties, people, you know, it's done. And so I think we just have to really seize the upcoming negotiations in a way that we've never seen before. And really look at language change. We have a lot of mindsets that we have to that we have to change. Just the fact that we use the word force is bizarre to me. This is about public safety and what's the holistic way that we look at public safety. And of course we will talk about and we must do increased trainings to um, be able to deal with people. People like my brother who was on the streets for five years and passed away in a public restroom because of his severe mental health issues and he he, um, he had a lot of bad incidences with police and they just didn't have the de-escalation skills for the most part on on how to really have the trauma-informed practices to deal with people like my brother. So training, and so training. And there's just more and more people like that. Training and better language. To. I do want to interject. Yeah. Training and better language are are useful and important, and I do not want to cheapen them. They are also answer. Oh, the better language is a little is is new. I haven't said, heard that exact thing said. Training is something that I've heard said. It, it was it has been the go-to answer for a Democrat running for any uh, for any office in Oregon. Portland police reform has come up, and then that has been the case since Aaron Campbell got shot. Let me ask this one: Would you be? And I don't mean that to cheapen it. It's it is, of course, very important. Uh, would you be in favor though of maybe this? of a third force, not just an Air Force or Marines, but a Coast Guard, a, a new force, it might not even call it force, that <laughs> is, that, is the, uh, that a new agency operation team of people in Portland, that, and that would mean you would be taking some money away from the police department budget, maybe taking some money away from other budgets as well. That was a first response team that was trained in mental health, might or might not carry a weapon, might or might not have a weapon back in their car, but they didn't keep on their holster, was certainly did not wear military garb, and whose expertise was de-escalation and dealing with people on the streets and not, and, and not thinking of them as crime fighters, but as problem solvers, as crime avoiders. Is, is that an idea whose time has come, and what's your view? Uh, yes, and I think that it could be holistic in general, that it's the public safety system and that it incorporates that body as well as what we know today as our police unit. And the police unit becomes radically reformed so that they are more responsive to the people in 2020 that are their neighbors. And I think we have to also really, again, look at the people on the streets as our neighbors not as um, citizens or civilians. Um, we have to get over this us and them. And I know there's been a real push for more police to people part of the public safety net uh, to be residents so they really do know um, their neighbors. I know when I was growing up it was not lost on me that some of my coaches were also members of the police force, and that helped. You know, so you you had a relationship. So let's them. get to that one. Let's get that's a perfect jumping off point, Dan, for a question we got from a listener. 
Should there be a requirement? They asked how many, what's the percentage of Portland police officers that live in the city? I think it's 18%. You might have a more updated number than I have. It's, it's like 7% in Minneapolis. And that is, that, that we like to say, because you know we don't offend police officers, it does have an impact if people aren't, or maybe you don't think it does. I shouldn't just say that declaratively. I should put that in the form of a question. But there, uh, there seems to be, there are a lot of people say, a lot of people say that there is an impact of not having officers who live in the city. What's your view? And should there be a requirement or an incentive for officers to live in the city? I think um, there should definitely be an incentive. But I also think that the fact that we don't know that number uh, is, is something that is not lost on me. I'm really big into data, and it's not because, well, I am a data nerd. I think it's 18%. I think I just read it. But the, the fact is we just don't. We need that number. We also need to know a number of police current police officers and what all the demographics are. And so for continuous improvement is you just make sure that we're transparent about the data and that we keep that transparency alive and well, and then we look at making measured improvements. And so it's all about improvements. And so yes, more people should be living in the city and there should be more people on the streets that represent those that we are serving. Sarah Anaron And we should also, of course, have better data on and see vast improvement on how many people have been locked up that are just way disproportionately of color. And I have a lot of history with this because this all starts in our school systems. So at All Hands Raise, I directly facilitated three groups at three middle schools that were predominantly uh, uh, made up of demographics of color because the predominant uh, white female teaching force, if you will, in the schools, in these middle schools, tended to always see the boys, but especially young boys of color, differently than they saw their females. So when you look at incidents, a, a female would be, well, they, they're just talking too much, and so they worked it out with them one-on-one. With a boy, it was, it was an escalation. It was aggressive. And then they were told to go to the principal's office instantly to a, another place of authority. So these things just don't happen when people are adults and when they're part of the police. It happens much earlier in the system. So we have to really look at that connectivity that starts way into the K-12 system, all the way up into police. And so I'll take that experience of listening to those, um, I would say compassionate, but yeah. also fearful uh, women who are white and watch their humility and their honesty take place over a couple of years of intense continuous improvement facilitation and we started to see the numbers improve. And we started to see their mental model change on how they related to their African-American and Latinx students. And that same principle can be tied. That same behavior change can happen with the police as well. But it doesn't happen overnight. And it happens if it's methodical and we just don't react to this popular moment in time. But we do this when the cameras are off. So when the cameras are off, though, I mean, we've been talking about this for 10 years, and that's actually not even true. We've been talking about it for 50 years. And I don't just mean about racial I mean specifically about the Portland Police Bureau. And I, and I say this not to throw stones at anybody else. I can throw stones at myself. But when we talk about Portland Police Bureau, there have been talk about the need within activist communities for transforming the culture of the Portland Police Bureau. That When, when Neil Goldschmidt was running for mayor, his team identified as one of the most important things that they needed to do, and then he didn't end up doing it, and history has shown maybe, you know, has shown maybe why. And I don't say that to knock anybody either. But the, 
but now I, I want do want to get some more specifics, and then hopefully we have another minute or two to talk about some other things. And I do. But when hope, you think back on that, Jeff, go ahead. Go ahead. Did you experience some transparency in what goals they were working on? Did you get transparent data about how things were going? Here's here's my here's my, here's my current on feeling. What kind of practices they're focused on? Here, 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 I, here, I'm pretty. I dove in. I never saw it. Here's my current feeling, and I I mean what I'll say is I watched The Wire. I watched the one, and there's, and there's, I mean, no, and, and there was a big push for data driven policing. And one of the challenges, what data do you pick? I want to, and, and I, and I, data over no data, heck yes. But I guess I want to nudge you for in another thing, which is if you build the hammer department, and that's what you build, and you call it the hammer department, and there's TV shows about the hammer department that tell everybody who might think about applying to be part of the hammer department what they ought to do and what that job is. Whatever then that hammer department trains people to do, whatever kinds of hammers they do, if they try to if they try to make something that's a little bit different than a hammer, I worry that anybody who comes into the hammer department is going to think that everything they see is a nail, or at least they're going to nail a lot too many things. And that's why I'm asking the question about not only how do you shift a little bit the culture within the police bureau, but do we have to think about more expansion of something like uh, Portland Street Response or other another new a, a Coast Guard, not only a war department? Let me let me ask this though, which, which is no, I'm just a lost on the hammer right now. But keep going, yeah. Uh, I hope, I hope that analogy made sense. <laughs> the, uh, like what? Uh, the, uh, but let me ask this. And I, can we do this again? Because right now, the world, we've got to focus on what's happening with police and what's happening with the black community. And Absolutely. if we don't do that, we're just jerks. But there are other issues again, in the city we've got to get to. On, if the election's on August 11th, it would be really helpful if you did this again. Yeah, yeah, no one really understands that. Yeah, yeah let's do this again. So, but I want to ask you, Sarah Iannarone came, uh, came out with a set of reforms that it's not enough. But here are some reforms we should be doing immediately, and called on them, and called on the mayor to be in favor of them. It was to ban chokeholds and carotid restrictions, and the needed knee, knee to neck, excuse me, maneuver which killed George Floyd, to ban the use of chemical weapons at demonstrations, including tear gas, to defund the militarization of the Portland police, and to require de-escalation training and tactics. Are there any of those you would disagree with? No, I just would say that it's important that we do the methodical work that goes below the iceberg, get down to root causes. And so it's really easy, not easy, it's popular and it's unnecessary to call out things at times when the, when, when the cameras are running and everyone's focused, don't get me wrong, but I'm old enough now to have seen these moments in time and then I don't see the methodical necessary work that trudges along for a few years after that that really gets into the root causes where you start to see the culture and behavior change from those people that you want to radically improve their behavior. So it's, it's yes, you call these out, but you must have that dialogue. You must include them in the dialogue. And you, so all of these, all of these other uh, organizations that you mentioned, they're at the table with those police officers that are also on the front line. You have to bring everybody at the same table and have the tension in the room and do that dialogue. We too often uh, silo such um, arguments and such uh, policy, and then we get to the 50.1 or some other number, and then we think we solved it. But what you see, and you know this, you're in the legislature, and um, you pass a policy, and then five years later, when you really looked into how it was being implemented and if the practices were actually changing, 
I bet you that we're very disappointed anytime you really dove into that exercise. So what this needs to be is just more fluid. And that's why one reason I want to really get rid of the mini mayor commission form of government is so we could all five, the team of five, be focused on the most important issues of our time. And this would be a good example of that and not let one bureau counter the necessary change that could be happening in, in another bureau. And so it's really important that we also look at systemic change with how the city council operates at this time. What's next for you on the campaign? We're, we're about to talk to Alex Linsky, by the way, of the Portland Mercury, who has been uh, risking, if not life and limb, at least potentially a communicable disease on several of the previous nights covering the protests. That'll be in just a moment. We're no- now talking to Dan Ryan, candidate for city council. That election is coming up in August, not November. Dan, what's next on the campaign, and what closing word do you want to offer to folks listening? I just want to say that um, we have to continue to really um, experience the love that's coming from these youth-led people of color leaders. I'm so inspired by it. You should be too. And we need to listen to them and support them and lift them up at this time. That's probably what I will leave you with because I know that's what's given me hope right now. And at times like this, we need hope. Dan Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time. You're so welcome. I look forward to our next conversation yeah, before August 11th. Yeah, let's do it in a couple of weeks. I mean, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it well before. Let's do it in a couple of weeks. Good. Let's do it well before uh, ballots go up. All right. Thanks a lot for doing it. Hey, take care. I appreciate the time. Bye bye.